Chapter Eleven of the Money Moon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Money Moon: A Romance by Geoffrey Farnell. Chapter Eleven of the Man with the Tiger Mark. It is a moot question as to whether a curl can be more alluring when it glows beneath the fiery kisses of the sun, or shines demurely in the tender radiance of the moon. As Bellow looked at it now, that same small curl that nodded and beckoned to him above Anthea's left ear, he strongly inclined to the latter opinion. "'Adam tells me that you are going out, Miss Anthea.' "'Only as far as Mrs. Dibbin's cottage, just across the meadow. "'Adam also informs me that Mrs. Dibbin is a witch. Oh, "'People call her so. "'Never in all my days have I seen a genuine old witch, "'so I'll come with you, if I may. "'Oh, this is a very gentle old witch, "'and she is neither humped back, nor does she ride a broomstick, "'and so I'm afraid you'll be disappointed, Mr. Bellew. "'Then at least—' I can carry your basket. Allow me. And so, in his quiet, masterful fashion, he took the basket from her arm, and walked on beside her, through the orchard. "'What a glorious night it is!' exclaimed Anthea, suddenly, drawing a deep breath of the fragrant air. "'Oh, it is good to be alive! In spite of all the cares and worries, life is very sweet.' After this they walked on some distance in silence, she gazing wistfully upon the beauties of the familiar world about her, while he watched the curl above her ear until she, becoming aware of it all at once, promptly sent it back into retirement, with a quick, deft little pat of her fingers. "'I hope,' said Bellew at last, "'I do sincerely hope that you tucked up my nephew safe in bed, you see?' "'Your nephew, indeed. Well, "'Our nephew, then. "'I ask, because he tells me that he can't possibly sleep "'unless you go to tuck him up, and I can quite believe it. "'Do you know, Mr. Bellew, I'm growing quite jealous of you. "'He can't move a step without you, "'and he is forever talking and lauding your numberless virtues. Oh, "'But then, I'm only an uncle, after all, "'and if he talks of me to you, he talks of you to me all day long oh does he and among other things he told me that i ought to see you when your hair is down and all about you oh exclaimed anthea indeed our nephew is much luckier than i because i never had an aunt of my own to come and tuck me up at night with her hair hanging all about her like a beautiful cloak so you see I have no boyish recollections to go upon, but I think I can imagine. And what do you think of the sergeant? Anthea inquired, changing the subject abruptly. I like him so much that I am going to take him at his word, and call upon him at the first opportunity. Did Aunt Priscilla tell you that he comes marching along regularly every day, at exactly the same hour? Yes, to see how the peaches are getting on, nodded Bellew. For such a very brave soldier he is a dreadful coward, said Anthea, smiling. It has taken him five years to screw up enough courage to tell her that she's uncommonly young for her age. And yet I think it is just that diffidence that makes him so lovable. 
and he is so simple and so gentle in spite of all his war medals. When I am moody and cross, the very sight of him is enough to put me in humour again. He has never spoken to Miss Priscilla? Never, though of course she knows, and has done from the very first. I asked him once why he had never told her what it was brought him so regularly to look at the peaches, and he said, in his quick, sharp way, "'Miss Anthea, can't be done, ma'am. A poor battered old soldier, only one arm. No, ma'am.' <laughs> "'I wondered if one could find just such another sergeant outside Arcadia,' said Bellew. "'I wonder.' Now, they were approaching a stile towards which Bellew had directed his eyes from time to time, as, for that matter, curiously enough, had Anthea. But to him it seemed that it never would be reached, while to her it seemed that it would be reached much too soon. Therefore she began to rack her mind, trying to remember some gate or any gap in the hedge that should obviate the necessity of climbing it. But before she could recall any such gate or gap, they were at the stile, and Bellew, leaping over, had set down the basket and stretched out his hand to aid her over. But Anthea, tall and lithe, active and vigorous with her outdoor life, and used to such things from her infancy, stood a moment hesitating. To be sure, the stile was rather high, yet she could have vaulted it nearly, if not quite, as easily as Bellew himself, had she been alone. But then she was not alone. Moreover, be it remembered, this was in Arcadia of a midsummer night. Thus she hesitated, only a moment, it is true, for, seeing the quizzical look in his eyes that always made her vaguely rebellious, with a quick light movement she mounted the stile and there paused to shake her head in laughing disdain of his outstretched hand. Then there was the sound of rending cambric. She tripped, and next moment he had caught her in his arms. It was for but a very brief instant that she lay soft and yielding in his embrace, yet she was conscious of how strong were the arms that held her so easily ere they set her down. I beg your pardon, how awkward I am, she exclaimed in hot mortification. No, said Bellew, shaking his head. It was a nail, you know, a bent and rusty nail, here, under the top bar. Is your dress much torn? Oh, that is nothing. Thank you. So they went on again, but now they were silent once more, and very naturally, for Anthea was mightily angry with herself, the style, Bellew, and everything concerned, while he was thinking of the sudden warm clasp of her arms, of the alluring fragrance of her hair, and of the shy droop of her lashes as she lay in his embrace. Therefore, as he walked on beside her, saying nothing, within his secret soul he poured benedictions upon the head of that bent and rusty nail and presently, having turned down a grassy lane and crossed a small but very noisy brook that chattered impertinences among the stones and chuckled at them slyly from the shadows, they eventually came upon a small and very lonely little cottage, bowered in roses and honeysuckle, as are all the cottages hereabouts. But now Anthea paused, 
looking at Bella with a dubious brow. "'I ought to warn you that Mrs. Dibbon is very old, and sometimes a little queer, and sometimes says very surprising things.' Oh, "'Excellent!' nodded Bellew, holding the little gate open for her. "'Very right and proper conduct in a witch, and I love surprises above all things.' But Anthea still hesitated, while Bellew stood with his hand upon the gate, waiting for her to enter. Now he had left his hat behind him, and, as the moon shone down on his bare head, she could not but notice how bright and yellow was his hair, despite the thick black brows below. "'I think I would rather you waited outside, if you don't mind, Mr. Bellew.' "'You mean that I am to be denied the joy of conversing with a real live old witch, and having my fortune told?' he sighed. "'Well, if such is your will, so be it,' said he obediently, and handed her the basket. "'I won't keep you waiting very long, and thank you,' she smiled, and, hurrying up the narrow path, she tapped at the cottage door. "'Come in! Come in!' cried an old, quavering voice, albeit very sharp and piercing. "'That be my own soft dove of a maid, my proud, beautiful white lady!' "'Come in, come in, and bring him with you. "'Him as is so big and strong, him as I've expected so long, "'the tall, golden man from overseas. "'Bid him come in, Miss Anthea, "'that Goody Dibbon's old eyes may look at him at last.' "'Hereupon, at a sign from Anthea, "'Bellow turned in at the gate, "'and, striding up the path, entered the cottage.' Despite the season, a fire burned upon the hearth, and, crouched over this, in a great elbow-chair, sat a very bent and aged woman. Her face was furrowed, and seamed with numberless lines and wrinkles, but her eyes were still bright, and she wore no spectacles. Likewise her white hair was wonderfully thick and abundant, as could plainly be seen beneath the frill of her cap, for— like the very small room of this very small cottage, she was extremely neat and tidy. She had a great curving nose, and a great curving chin, and what with this and her bright black eyes and stooping figure, she was very much like what a witch should be, albeit a very superior kind of a witch. She sat for a while, staring up at Bellew, who stood tall and bareheaded, smiling down at her, and then, all at once, she nodded her head three several and distinct times. "'Right!' she quavered. "'Right! Right! It be all right! The golden man, as I've watched this many a many a day, with the curly hair, and the sleepy eye, and the tiger mark upon his arm! Right! Right!' "'What do you mean by tiger mark?' inquired Bellew. I mean, young master with your golden curls, I mean as, sitting here day in and day out, staring down into my fire, I has my dreams. Leastways, I calls em my dreams, though there's them as calls it the second sight. But pray sit down, tall sir, on the stool there, and you, my tender maid, my dark lady, come you here. Upon my right, and, if you wish, I'll look into the ink, 
oh read your pretty hand or tell you what i see down there in the fire but no first show what you have brought for old nanny in the blessed basket the fine strong basket is hold so much yes set it down here where i can open it myself tall sir eh what's this tea oh god bless you for the tea my dear and eggs and butter and a cold chicken the lord bless your kind heart miss anthea oh my proud lady happy the man who shall win ye happy the man who shall wed ye my dark beautiful maid and strong must he be ay and masterful he who shall wake the love-light in those dark great passionate eyes of yours and there is no man in all this world can do it but he must be a golden man with a tiger mark upon him why oh nanny i blush if you will my dark lady but mother dibbon knows she seen it in the fire dreamed it in her dreams and read it in the ink the path lies very darker for ye my lady ay very dark it be and full o cares and troubles but there's the sun shining beyond bright and golden you be proud and high and scornful my lady it is in your blood you need a strong hand to guide ye and the strong hand shall come by force you shall be wooed and by force you shall be wed and there be no man strong enough to woo and wed ye but him as i've told ye of him as bears the tiger mark but nanny said anthea again gently interrupting her and patting the old woman's shrivelled hand you're forgetting the basket you haven't found all we've brought you yet ay ay nodded old nanny the fine strong basket let's see what more be in the good kind basket here's bread and sugar and a pound of your favourite tobacco said anthea with a smiling nod oh the good weed the blessed weed cried the old woman clutching the package with trembling fingers ah who can tell the comfort it has been to me in the long long days and the long long nights the blessed weed <laughs> when i've sat here a-looking and a-looking into the fire oh god bless you my sweet maid for your kindly thought and with a sudden gesture she caught anthea's hand to her lips and then just as suddenly turned upon bellew and now tall sir can i do aught for ye shall i look into the fire for ye or the ink or read your hand why yes answered bellew stretching out his hand to her you shall tell me two things if you will first shall one ever find his way into the castle of heart's desire and secondly when oh but i don't need to look into her hand to tell you that tall sir nor yet in the ink or in the fire for i've dreamed it all in my dreams and now see you tis a strong place this castle with thick doors and great locks and bars but i've seen those doors broke down those great locks and bars burst asunder 
but there is none can do this but him as bears the tiger mark so much for the first and for the second happiness shall come riding to you on the full moon but you must reach up and take it for yourself if you be tall enough <laughs> and even you are not tall enough to do that mr bellew laughed anthea as she rose to bid old nanny good-night while bellew unnoticed slipped certain coins upon a corner of the chimney-piece so old nanny bless them and theirs past present and future thoroughly and completely with a fine comprehensiveness that only a genuinely accomplished old witch might hope to attain to and following them to the door paused there with one shrivelled claw-like hand uplifted towards the sky at the full of the moon tall sir she repeated at the full of the moon as for you my dark-eyed lady i say by force you shall be wooed and by force you shall be wed ay ay but there is no man strong enough except he have the tiger mark upon him old nanny knows she's seen it in the ink dreamed it in the fire and read it all in your pretty hand and now thank ye for the tea my pretty and god bless ye for the good weed and just so sure as you've been good and kind to old nanny so shall fortune be good and kind to you miss anthea poor old nanny said anthea as they went on down the grassy lane she is so very grateful for so little and she is such a gentle old creature really though the country folk do call her a witch and are afraid of her because they say she has the evil eye which is ridiculous of course but nobody ever goes near her and she is dreadfully lonely poor old thing and so that is why you come to sit with her and let her talk to you inquired bellew staring up at the moon yes and do you believe in her dreams and visions no of course not answered anthea rather hurriedly and with a deeper colour in her cheeks though bella was still intent upon the moon you don't either do you she inquired seeing he was silent well i don't quite know he answered slowly but she is rather a wonderful old lady i think yes she has wonderful thick hair still nodded anthea and she's not a bit deaf and her eyes are as clear and sharp as ever they were yes but i wasn't meaning her eyes or her hair or her hearing oh then pray what were you pleased to mean did you happen to notice what she said about a er uh, man with a tiger mark inquired bellew still gazing up at the moon anthea laughed <laughs> the man with a tiger mark of course he has been much in her dreams lately and she has talked of him a great deal has she said bellew ha huh. yes her mind is full of strange twists and fancies you see she is so very old and she loves to tell me her dreams and read the future for me though of course you don't believe it said bellew believe it 
Anthea repeated, and walked some dozen paces or so before she answered, No, of course not. Then, none of your fortune, nothing she told you, has ever come true? Once more Anthea hesitated, this time so long that Bellew turned from his moon-gazing to look at her. I mean, he went on, has none of it ever come true? About this man with the tiger-mark, for instance. No, oh, no, answered Anthea rather hastily, and laughed again. Old Nanny has seen him in her dreams, everywhere, in India, in Africa, in China, in hot countries, in cold countries. Oh, Nanny has seen him everywhere, but I have seen him nowhere, and of course I never shall. Ah, said Bellew, and she reads him always in your fortune, does she? And I listen very patiently. Anthea nodded, because it pleases her so much. And it is all so very harmless, after all, isn't it? Yes, answered Bellew. And very wonderful. Wonderful? Poor old Nanny's fancies? What do you mean by wonderful? Upon my word, I hardly know, said Bellew, shaking his head. But there are more things in heaven and earth, etc., you know. And this is one of them. Really? Now you grow mysterious, Mr. Bellew. Like the night, he answered, turning to aid her across the impertinent brook that chuckled at them, and laughed after them, as only such a very impertinent brook possibly could. So betimes they reached the stile and crossed it, this time without mishap, despite the lurking nail, and, all too soon for Bellew, had traversed the orchard, and were come to the garden where the roses all hung so still upon their stems that they might have been asleep, and filling the air with the perfume of their dreams. And here they paused, perhaps because of the witchery of the moon, perhaps to listen to the voice of the nightingale who sang on more gloriously than ever. Yet, though they stood so close together, their glances seldom met and they were very silent. But at last, as though making up her mind, Anthea spoke. "'What did you mean when you said old Nanny's dreams were so wonderful?' she asked. "'I'll show you,' he answered. And while he spoke, slipped off his coat, and drawing up his shirt-sleeve, held out a muscular white arm towards her. He held it out in the full radiance of the moon, and thus, looking down at it, her eyes grew suddenly wide, and her breath caught strangely as surprise gave place to something else, for there, plain to be seen upon the white flesh, were three long scars that wound up from elbow to shoulder. And so, for a while, they stood thus, she looking at his arm, and he at her. Why, she said at last, finding voice in a little gasp, why, then, I am the man with a tiger mark, he said, smiling his slow, placid smile. Now, as his eyes looked down into hers, she flushed sudden and hot, and her glance wavered and fell beneath his. Oh, she cried, 
and with the word turned about and fled from him into the house. End of chapter 11